Welcome in to Hardcore College Football. I guess I shouldn't get used to saying that for too much longer. It's a little hint, wink, nudge, nudge to what we'll be talking about at the end of the episode. With me today, Ron Redden is with me on the second episode of Hardcore College Football and potentially the last one. What's up, Ron? Doing good, man. It's, it's nice to be here. I've had a good time, um, you know, being on here with one of my friends, man. So it's been good. I'm excited to see uh, where you take it next. But, you know, let's have some fun. Yeah, I mean, we did, were not able to record last week, um, but we're back this week. I don't want to say this is maybe the the least interesting week of the college football season, but as I look at the slate of games, Ron, I'm I'm not overly enthused. One of the worst college football slates of the year, of the last two years. We were blessed, I think, two weeks ago with maybe one of the best slates. And next week for Halloween is a fantastic week of games. I think, I mean, you can sit on the couch, I think you can watch Michigan State, Michigan at 12, um, Georgia, Florida at 3.30, and Penn State, Ohio State at 7.30. So next week's going to be fantastic. This week, not so much. I mean, just looking at some of these games, Cincinnati versus Navy, Oklahoma versus Kansas, Northwestern versus Michigan, Illinois versus Penn State. Um, yeah, that's not Alabama, Tennessee. I mean, they're just, there's just there's really nothing overly exciting. Um, yeah, Coastal have, App State was, was yeah, I was gonna say we do really have, good, yeah. And but App State has really gone downhill, so yeah. Um, it's 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 not the most exciting um group of games, but we do have a lot of exciting things to talk about. Not necessarily just game wise, but there's been a lot of drama. Um, and I I think we'll start with probably the biggest news, and that is the American Conference is going to be accepting applications, at least looking at applications. Uh, for new schools to join the conference. They're trying to get to 14 teams. Teams that have been asked to send in an application, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, and UAB. I thought the funniest thing about this entire thing was um, if you were in the American and those teams all made it, you could potentially play three owl teams in a row you could play fau owls the temple owls and the rice owls all three weeks in a row potentially in 2027 whenever this actually happens so what are your thoughts on this move and um i mean it seems like the american conference in my opinion is kind of maybe reaching a little too far here some of these teams yeah um i think it's it's good for the american um to expand because you know in my opinion in this day and age, you you have to expand. Um, if you don't expand, you're going to get left behind. So, especially for these smaller schools like a Charlotte, UTSA, who's ranked right now, you know, Rice, FAU, you know, it's good to get into the conference as they're moving on. So, I, I would say it's a good thing. I know they can't take every team, but like definitely getting Charlotte, who's been a pesky team. Um, UTSA, who's ranked right now and on the rise. I think just if they can get a few of those teams or, or two or three of those teams, I think that it would be a really good move for the conference, and uh, especially with them losing, you know, Cincinnati, of course, potentially, and, you know, schools like that. So I think it's a good move. I think it's interesting that that some of these teams are coming. Like, you can you – can, I know why Charlotte's coming because of – 
the potential TV money that Charlotte can bring in. And Charlotte hasn't been that bad in, in recent years. FAU has been better, but isn't really doing anything right now. Uh, North Texas has, has had a couple decent years, but nothing crazy. UTSA and UAB are probably the two best teams football-wise. Um, they, they also don't – a lot of these teams don't bring a bunch in the basketball department. So I, I just feel like it's a little bit of a stretch. I don't really know where else they could go because they're really kind of running out of, out of options here as everyone continues to pick from the bottom. I am curious. I don't know what the Conference USA does at this point because – if a couple more teams start being picked from them, they don't really have much left. And it's, it's almost hard for them to really stay together right now. If one or two more of these teams go, I mean, you're looking at potentially losing, losing everybody. I mean, if I'm looking at this right now, like Marshall wouldn't stay based off of what we see right now. I mean, you could potentially see Western Kentucky's going somewhere. You could see um, Middle Tennessee State going somewhere. Will Louisiana Tech hang around? Would I've heard rumors that UTEP might go to the Mountain West. So I, I don't know what the CUSA does because, unfortunately for them, if everyone's picking and bringing people up, who are they going to really pick from? They're kind of at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, I think – I think it'll be interesting how this shakes out, but I definitely think that getting UTSA in the American has to be like number one priority. Yeah, I agree. Number one priority. And I think if, if the American can just start there, then I think they can work on building that conference because they can get teams to replace um, some of the schools that they're losing. But I think when, when we talk about the conference realignment for the big boys in the SEC, it's like we need the big name. You know, we need the big schools. We need the big names. But for these mid-tier conferences, it's about getting the, the, the up-and-comers. It's about getting, you know, the next Boise State, you know, the next TCU and things like that. So I definitely think it's a good thing. I'm, I'm still curious how it will shake out, but I definitely think the, the, they're on the right track here. With wanting to, with these schools wanting to apply to get into the American, because if you don't find yourself, you know, getting into a conference and being left out, you could end up like UConn. So, I think also that the Americans really trying to find places that have good recruiting um, hotbeds, and I think that's why you see the expansion into Texas. You already have SMU there, North Texas. You get UTSA. You're really starting to hit Texas fairly hard. Um, but I just don't know. I don't know what the American Conference wants to be, right? Like, I think that's the hardest thing. Like, what is their identity? And when you have teams throughout the country, I don't know if you can really. Like the Big Ten has, you know, you know what the Big Ten is. You know what the SEC is. In an unfortunate way, I think you know what the Pac-12 is. The American really doesn't have that identity yet, and I think the Big Twelve honestly is is in a similar in a similar position. Um, I don't know what to expect from them moving forward. I appreciate them trying to keep things together. And I, and I agree. I think UTSA will be a, a really good addition for them. But I just don't know how some of these schools will fare, especially when you talk about maybe getting into the basketball. And I'm not a basketball genius, but I, I'm interested to see what happens. But, I mean, we have to see which teams they accept. I think you, I, UAB and UTSA are the ones they have to absolutely get in. Um, I think Charlotte would be good money-wise. I honestly wouldn't mind North Texas in there, but we'll, we'll see kind of where they go. Um, I do want to talk about maybe something 
Um, I know you're going to be um, have some things to say about this. Obviously, head coach uh, Nick Rolovich at Washington State has been let go. Washington has a state mandate for vaccines. The school bent backwards for him to extended his time to have an opportunity for him to get vaccinated. Him and I believe three or four other assistants uh, didn't get vaccinated and they were let go. The latest news is Rolovich, as of this morning, is decided to sue the athletic director on what grounds. I'm not really sure. Um, he was fired with cause, so he is not getting any of that money. Um, and he and he's being let go. He's been let go, Ron. Yeah, um, this is a really unfortunate situation. Um, I won't comment on Rolovich personally um, himself, but I really feel bad for those kids. I really feel bad for 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 the, the kids and the students that signed on to play for Washington State, and now you know they don't have a coach. You know, it's like we're about to turn over our recruiting class here, and you know for you know Rolovich to unfortunately have to be let go um, for not following a mandate. I think it really puts those kids and their families in a really tough position. Um, I think it puts the team currently in a tough position for them to now have to kind of just not have a coach in the middle of a season over this. Um, it's pretty ridiculous, but, uh, you know, I think when it comes to the mandate, you know, I think people are going to have their own opinion one way or another. I just think that regardless of where it stands, I think relinquishing a, a power five FBS job in college football where you're making $3 million because you don't want to follow the mandate. It's just really, really tough. You know, it's, it's a tough, tough thing to be empathetic for. Um, and, you know, best of luck to Washington state, you know, and their look in their, in their search for a new football coach. Hopefully Nick Rolovich gets what, what he longed for. You know, and he ends up in a situation where he wanted to be, where he feels comfortable. But I just think all around, ever since he was hired, it was kind of like, you know, something after the other. And we knew this was going to pop up. And Washington State tried to buy him as much time as they could. They really did. And it, and ultimately, it just didn't end up working out. So it's just an unfortunate situation. I'm not going to hold back here. I think this is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. And, and you're right, because it's more than just him. Um, I feel bad for the recruiting analysts or the scouting analysts or some of these low-paying guys that were given their first opportunities that are most likely going to be fired when the new coach is brought in. Um, and they were never really given a choice. I mean, you can talk about a decision for Rolovich, but it's bigger than him. Um, Mike Dugar, who actually writes mostly for the, about the Seahawks for the Athletic, uh, obviously covered Washington State football as well, and he had a great piece on the Athletic yesterday about Rolovich. And I learned things I didn't know. Like for example, there's a current lawsuit going on between a former wide receiver for Washington State and Rolovich, because when the George Floyd incident happened, there was a desire for um, change across the country and Rolovich's statement that came out was from what he described it as pretty tone deaf 
he made it I guess Rolovich basically said that the situation wasn't black and white it, it seemed pretty tone deaf and he got retribution for it. people came after him and said that this is a dumb thing to put out if you're, if you're gonna put something out of this don't put it out right now just wait receiver um, for Washington State wanted to do something extra he wanted to, to start a movement of some kind Rolovich not only said no this isn't gonna happen but because of this sort of um, conflict the receiver ended up getting kicked off the team and so there's a current lawsuit going on right now between that receiver and Nick Rolovich and so that was the first thing that upset me but whatever like whatever you can have your own opinion on that whole thing even though I think you're wrong if you think it's a not a very clear situation what happened with George Floyd um, then I found out that once Rolovich was fired this dude didn't even talk to his team Got his stuff and just left. Didn't talk to his players that he'd recruited. Didn't talk to the ones that he'd been guiding and, and, and leading. And Washington State desperately needs a leader there. Like Mike Leach, you can say what he want you want about him and how he was polarizing at times. Mike Leach at least said and stood for what he believed in. This isn't what Nick Rolovich did here. He never at one point in this entire issue came out and said what he believed in. Never even took a time or a moment to actually explain why he doesn't want to get a vaccine. Didn't take a moment to explain why he wouldn't go ahead and get vaccinated just to get back to normal. He never even did that. He wouldn't even stand his ground. At one point, he tried to um, use a religious um, relig a reason to get out of getting vaccinated and never claimed what religion he was, never actually followed through with the exemption, and that fell to the wayside. But never once did he actually stand up and say, this is why I don't want to get vaccinated. I think there's one thing to say, you don't want to get vaccinated, and here's why. But to not even explain to anybody, the athletic director, to the media, to the players, why you won't do it is almost worse than just not even doing it. And that's what frustrates me about this situation. It's one thing to say, I don't want to get vaccinated, and here's why. It's another to not even give a reason to not even talk to your players once you do get fired, and then to come back the next day and try to sue them, even though it was made very, very clear. And like you said, they bent backwards to try to get him plenty of time to get vaccinated, and he continued to choose not to. So I don't feel bad for him. I feel awful for the players. I feel awful for the lower coaches that really were never given a chance or even a choice in this situation. Um, and I think this is a big lesson for, for not just Washington State, but for everybody on perspective. Because you can think you have the right guy. And it's amazing how something as, as, as simple as a vaccination, which, by the way, people have literally been vaccinated in this country before it was even a country. George Washington made the Continental Army get vaccinated in 1777. What's more patriotic than that? Yeah, listen, I, I, think, I think the whole thing is just, some people just, you know, vaccines, needles, you know, I understand it. You know, you might not want to get it. I understand it. But to me, I think that if it were me and my job was on the line, vaccine, or you cannot work here because you might be endangering other people, I would say, you know what, I'm going to get the vaccine because it is for the betterment of me the people around me and for me to keep my job and, and to continue 
to add to the company that I'm working for, for the team. I would do it. You know, Rolovich, he thought otherwise. And, you know, because of that, he and others were just, you know, it, it's so unfortunate that this is what it had to come to. It is. It's unfortunate. And like I said, I could... I can talk about that for a while, but it's frustrating because you know what? I mean, he, he, I don't know how many places are going to take him now that he's suing. I, I, I can think of a couple of schools off the top of my mind that might take him. I think there's certain media outlets in the sports world that will take him in a heartbeat. But otherwise, I don't know why you would. Because like I said, it's one thing to do it, but it's another thing to not even explain why. And I think that's the point. That's the most frustrating, especially for Washington State fans. Like, explain to us why. Like. If, if you're worried that it's not going to matter, maybe it won't, but at least you can say, hey, this is exactly why I won't do it, instead of just not saying anything, because honestly, it makes you look like a coward. Um, let's move on to other drama. And may, maybe now that Washington State needs a head coach, maybe uh, James Franklin might go to Washington State. We've been hearing rumors about him to USC and LSU. Um, as you would mentioned or in a text message to me, he, he's been there before. So maybe Washington State comes calling for James Franklin. Um, I know... Right, so maybe they, you know, want to, I don't know, find that spark again out in Pullman? I don't know. But I know we don't want to talk too much about what we don't 100% know. Um, that being said, I feel good enough saying that LSU and USC both won James Franklin, or at least wanted James Franklin. I feel pretty good in the people I've talked to that over the bye week, well, let me go back and say I'm pretty sure LSU spoke with Franklin um, before the Auburn game, from what I've heard. On top of that, um, I'm confident in saying that between LSU and USC, someone offered him a job. And as of Wednesday, October 20th, he hasn't accepted a job. Now that the bye week over and we're moving into the really the meat part of the season for Penn State, I don't know if we'll hear that much more, Ron. Um, but I'm confident in saying he was at least offered one. And if I'm guessing, Penn State is going to have to at least up something, whether that's the salary of James Franklin, whether that's the coaching pool, whether that's a more of a commitment to the facilities. And I want to give them some credit because – it's a difficult situation for Penn State to be in because they never made any sort of huge contributions to the athletic department, especially football-wise, for almost like 20, 30 years. And so then they did a lot to catch up, and now it's like, well, we already caught up and spent a lot of money. They don't quite understand that you have to keep – now that you're there, it's better to, to stay there than to just do it every 30 years in a painful um, procrastination. So I understand where they're coming from, but it seems clear that Penn State's going to have to – sweeten the deal at least a little bit because USC seems to be interested and maybe even desperate and although I don't think LSU is in that same department as far as desperation is concerned I think LSU felt they as a program and as what they bring to the table was was maybe going to be enough and I, I don't think Franklin necessarily is is going to fall for something like that you can maybe get a Mel Tucker to do that or maybe a Billy Napier who hasn't been at a Power 5 job, or in Mel Tucker's case, been at a very good or as prestigious Power 5 job. But I think it's going to take more for Franklin to, to go to a place like LSU 
Um, the only other thing about LSU I'd say is I believe Brent Pry's wife is from Louisiana. And so if Franklin did go to LSU, I I would expect Pry and his wife, who they've had a fantastic relationship with Franklin, would probably go with him. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect Pry to stay as the head coach of Penn State. What what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, um I in my opinion I don't think Franklin leaves. Um, I think that, you know, for Penn State, for him to be at Penn State, this was the place that, you know, it was the right place at the right time for him coming from Vanderbilt. He's from Pennsylvania, um, went to East Stroudsburg, from Langhorn. You know, I think that when, when people, especially these jobs, these big quote unquote big jobs or these blue blood jobs, whatever that means nowadays, um, they take into account the name and they take into account the money, but I don't think that they take into account that what was everybody's blue blood program on like NCAA 14 isn't everybody's, you know, number one desire, you know, what if Penn State is James Franklin's USC? What if it is his LSU? You know, what if what if Penn State, a place where it's it has a lot of history, but it, it, it took a rebuilding it, the, the Penn State program that we see today is all James Franklin. It is 100 percent his program from from the facilities, from the staff, from the players. This is everything that he built by with with help from his staff and with help from you know, the administration and things like that. But he set out a goal to build Penn State the way that he thought it should be built. And he rebuilt the program. And I think that for that, that people don't really take that into account when they link him to these other jobs and they say that he should go here or school X should go there. It's like, to me, leaving Penn State right now where it is, which is a perennial top 10 program in contention for a New Year's Six every year and is in, Ohio, is in Ohio State win every year away from essentially a Big Ten championship or a college football playoff berth. You know, to leave that, to go rebuild a USC team who can barely fill the stands as it is, has completely lost the state of California recruiting-wise. And schools like Ohio State, Alabama, you name it, have gone Oregon. into California for Oregon, have gone into the state of California for the last five to 10 years and completely eradicated that state. And that's no longer USC state anymore. You mean to tell me that that is a better opportunity and a better place to be than the school where you built the program, you're still building it and you're bringing in the best recruiting class you've ever brought in um, this next cycle, by the way. And you've, you've set roots down there. You've built a foundation there. Your family is there. It's like, and, and it's, it's just the state of college sports as it is. And me and you are not new to this, where it's essentially big bank takes little bank. That's all college athletics is. And I understand that USC has a lot of money and LSU has a lot of money. But for a guy like James Franklin, I think that, just throwing money at him and expecting him it, it, like just throwing money in your, your team logo, your school logo, like, Hey, we're LSU. Hey, we're USC. 
you know, you, you're coming here, right? It's like, that's not how things work anymore. That's not how things work. I think that there are intangibles that people, you know, don't take into account. And all of this, mind you, might just be James Franklin having a phenomenal agent who gets him raises because he can, he exceeds expectations. And he knows that in order to eventually be up there with Ohio State and be up there with a school like Michigan who just has more money, you have to invest resources. And so this might be all that it is, but in my opinion, James Franklin being linked to these jobs, it just, it really never made sense to me. And it might not ever make sense to me, but in my opinion, I don't think he leaves. I think if he's going to leave, he would do it now. And if he doesn't, well, no, not right now, but at the end of the season. And if he doesn't leave now, if USC isn't it, if LSU isn't it, I don't really know how many other schools out there he'd really be interested. He could go to USC and he could be a god because he could return, he could really return the recruiting in USC around super fast. And and maybe he wouldn't be super successful. Maybe the LA market would eventually eat him up. Maybe LSU would kick him out in two years. But if he was going to leave, I think this would be his best opportunity. I don't know if, you know, he could maybe, if he wins a national championship, I don't think he ever leaves, right? And I don't know how much higher his stock is going to get before that. And so that being said, if he stays at Penn State, he has one of the best recruiting classes coming in. He's got you maybe what you could say the best offense and defensive staff around him, not just from the offensive defense coordinator standpoint, but with all the assistant coaches. I don't, I don't see him leaving either. But I, I think if he's gonna go, this would be the maybe with one of his best opportunities to do so. I do want to circle back to Rolovich one more time because there was some more news that came out. The official uh, release by Rolovich's attorney. Uh, claims that Rolovich was never given an opportunity to speak to his team. So you have a little he said this, you know, uh, um, and the athletic director said that. So I want to re- at least report both sides of that. Whatever happened, whatever the case may be, he didn't get to talk to his team, which is a super unfortunate. On top of that, the attorney claims that Rolovich filed for religious exemption and was denied by Washington State. So I wanted to get his side of the story there. However... His religious exemption is, he's claiming it's because of his Catholic faith. And I want to go on and say that the Catholic Church has 100% morally supported the COVID-19 vaccine. So I'm not really sure what part of the Catholic faith is telling him not to get the vaccine. So I wanted to at least mention that part because I think it's fair to at least put out whatever uh, role of its side of the story is, although how fabricated it may seem at times. Um, before we move on, I want to talk football now. Let's talk Oklahoma State, Ron. Um, Oklahoma State got a big win against Texas. They came back, got a got a win against maybe at some point we didn't think Oklahoma State was going to stand a chance, and they, they came back and won a good game. They've won a lot of close games this year. They've played really ugly games against, I believe it was Missouri State, Tulsa, and Boise State. But, you know, they're still undefeated. They're in the top 10. Are you a believer in Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy? Um, I, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm a believer yet just because I feel like we've seen this story with Oklahoma State before. You know, they, they'll have a hot team that gets into, like, October, November undefeated, and then 
you know, we're kind of waiting for them to get over that, that hump, get into that next level. And then, you know, something happens, but um, I like their team. I definitely think they have, they, especially in the big 12, you know, they can make some noise. They really can. Um, I have some worries about them um, offensively, which is the only reason I'm not all in Um, offensively. They just, we're used to the Mike Gundy, you know, throw it all around the yard offense. And it just hasn't been that prolific this year. Um, They only have seven passing touchdowns through six, six games, I believe seven, six or seven games up until this point. Um, That's just not what I would expect from a Mike Gundy, Spencer Sanders offense when Sanders, you know, Sanders and Gundy have been together for a few years now. So, yeah, um, I would say for me, it, their offense is the only thing that's really preventing me from saying like, yeah, they can go into Bedlam undefeated and they're ready. But, you know, they got a big test this weekend against Iowa State. And if they get past that, then I guess we have no choice but to call them for real. Yeah, Oklahoma State giving up the tied for the second fewest in conference points per game allowed with 58. Um tied with Iowa State for 58 um, Oklahoma at 123 so Oklahoma State's defense looks to be for real especially when you compare it to Oklahoma's which we thought maybe Oklahoma's defense would get a little bit better this year but um, really hasn't been the case uh, we might see too I mean, when you look at these teams I mean Baylor has done some decent things but we might end up seeing Bedlam part one and Bedlam part two which I mean <laughs> Unfortunately for the Big 12, if it works out like that, because, again, you could potentially cancel yourself out of a playoff berth if Oklahoma State wins the first one and Oklahoma wins the second one, so or, or vice versa. So I, I, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it's a long way to go still. And they, I mean, Oklahoma State's only played three conference games so far. So a lot more to be said about Oklahoma State. I, I don't know if Sanders is consistent enough. Um, to win them, you can't come back against everybody. So you were able to come back, come back against Texas, although Texas has now given up um, back-to-back huge leads um, against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So they have their own issues. Um, people still maybe, I mentioned Baylor, but people still have to maybe talk about Iowa State. Still still have a pretty good defense there. Everyone kind of wrote them off. Uh, but they're 2-1 in the conference as well. But it's still pretty early. I mean, they're going to move up because... The Big Ten East is about to just absolutely annihilate one another here in the next month or so, starting next week. So, I mean, things are going to really change drastically because we're going to see uh, Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State all play each other, and things are going to get freaky or funky. So um, they're going to move up, but we won't really get to know how good Oklahoma State is maybe until another month or so. Um Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, the Big Ten West because with Iowa losing to Purdue, not just losing, losing at home and losing poorly to Purdue, the Big Ten West is a lot different than it was maybe two weeks ago. Uh, We kind of agreed going in that Iowa wasn't as good as Penn State. Obviously, Sean Clifford got hurt. Iowa was able to win that game. Purdue was coming off a bye week. Brom apparently is just is like three and one against Iowa, so no surprise that they were able to go in and get the win. Iowa, I'm sure, was a little bit hungover from that Penn State victory. But if you look at the Big Ten West right now, 
Minnesota sitting there at two and one. They do have to travel to Connect to play Iowa. Purdue sitting there at two and one with already a win over Iowa. And maybe people haven't completely lost faith in Wisconsin yet. Um, but Wisconsin's still hanging around there a little bit too. What are your thoughts on the Big Ten West? Do you have a favorite in that division now? I look at the Nebraska schedule when I see they have Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa still on their schedule, as well as Purdue, and it's just like I do not see a way they find a way to win any of those games. So I'm not confident in Nebraska at all. Um, I do like Purdue, but like you said, their, their schedule is pretty tough. Um, Minnesota, I, I think right now, is playing the best football. Uh, Tanner Morgan looked the best he's looked all year last week, and they have Northwestern next week, so that's an easy win. Um, then they have Illinois, so that's another easy win. So just right there, there's two more Big Ten West wins for Minnesota. And they'd be sitting at 4-1 and one all of a sudden. Then they finish with at Iowa, at Indiana, and then they host Wisconsin. And I, right now I'm favoring them over Wisconsin. I think they should beat Indiana. We'll see what... Indiana looks like against Ohio State. I think this is a big one for Indiana this week against Ohio State because if Indiana looks bad against Ohio State, I think they might they might turn it in for the whole season. Um, but that November 13th game against Iowa, I think everyone has to circle that one because that one really might end up deciding um, the division, especially if Iowa loses that. I mean, they're pretty much toast. It doesn't matter what they do the rest of the way. With their loss to Purdue, if they lose to Minnesota, they wouldn't have the tiebreaker over either of the other two top teams. So they would be uh, they'd be in a really tough situation there. So curious to see what happens there. I, I'm curious to see how Iowa responds, especially since we know Spencer Peters might be one of the worst quarterbacks in the FBS. I mean, that'd be nice. Be nice. Just awful. I mean, Three interceptions in the fourth quarter. You think they would maybe be able to do something against Purdue's defense, and they could not do anything. And Purdue was running three quarterbacks in that game and was able to get the win. So that's the Big Ten West. I, I'm curious to see. I mean, I, I think we can guarantee that Illinois and Northwestern are 100% out of it. 
I would say Wisconsin and Nebraska are seriously like one more loss away from being out of it. And that just leaves you with Iowa, Minnesota, and Purdue. So it's going to be an interesting kind of fight to the end. We thought Iowa was going to run away with it. And then we realized, or at least it finally came to fruition, came to light that maybe their offense just isn't good enough, even for the Big Ten West, which is saying something. <laughs> which, I mean, it's so funny looking at like the, the, the points for and the points against differential for the Big Ten West after looking at the Big 12. It's like completely different completely different so uh, let's move on we got a couple more things to talk about today uh, we're gonna I want to talk about four games and then I want to talk about the future of the show so let's talk Pittsburgh Clemson Pittsburgh's favorite against Clemson Pittsburgh has a really good offense Clemson does not I think Pittsburgh should be able to outscore them but in my opinion this is a must win for Pittsburgh you're not going to get a better shot at a Davos Sweeney led team than this year yeah this this is the biggest pit Pittsburgh game and I would say since what 2009 maybe it's it's the biggest game biggest regular season game you could argue their I mean in hindsight you could argue their win over Penn State in 2016 was a ended up being a pretty big win at least it, for it ended up being a yeah it ended up being a pretty big win pretty big uh pretty big game against Penn State in 2016 but I mean just in terms of like the stakes like if you win this game in your Pittsburgh you know you you essentially you know you you control your fate you control your destiny to the ACC championship game at this point and who knows when you're going to be able to to legitimately beat the Clemson team you know straight up one-on-one because you know this is obviously a down year for Clemson um but you know, great teams always come back. So this could be your chance. This is a chance for you to solidify yourself in the ACC if you're Pitt as someone who, hey, we're going to be around even when Clemson is back in the next year or two. So I think this is a big game. I think they know it's a big game for them. And I I think that they're going to pull through. I think that they're going to win this game straight up. And um, they're going to – I think I think they're going to win the ACC or at least get to – the ACC championship game to hopefully play Wake Forest, but I think that they win. I think they do too. I think their offense is actually really good. Kenny Pickett, got to give him some credit. He's one of the better uh, quarterbacks in the country right now, at least uh, rating-wise. Uh, he's only, I think, thrown a couple interceptions, and he's got a bunch of touchdowns, and at least pro football focus likes him. So I like Pitt here. I don't know how big of a game it will be as far as attendance. You'd think they would get out there and support this, this Panther team. Um, but yeah, they've got to find a way to win this game because you're not going to get a better opportunity. And, and we can talk about Clemson and how how awful they seem, but I can't believe how awful they seem. I mean, it's one thing to maybe not be in the playoff conversation, but I mean, for a really bad ACC, they're not even really in the conversation to win the ACC right now, and they only have two losses. I mean, it's just it's bizarre, and only one conference loss. It's just bizarre, Ron. Yeah, I, I think it's just a down year. You know, it's just a down year. We see teams have down years all of the time. Um, but with that being said, a win this weekend changes everything. A win this weekend, it goes from a down year to this is the Clemson team that we, you know, we thought we would see all all year. And it, 
you know, yeah, Clemson's having a down year, but they they're still the the cream of the crop in the ACC. Like this weekend could change everything. That's why I say, like, even though this isn't like a quote unquote big game, there's not a chance for you to upset Clemson or anything like that. Like this game could could have major implications going forward for both programs beyond this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you know what, Dabba Sweeney's been. Although he denied it and said this is the only Death Valley he wants to be at is the one at Clemson, LSU um, at least interested in Dabo Sweeney. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but crazier things have happened. Let's talk Oregon-UCLA. I have been told that and, and cleared that Joe Moorhead will be cleared to be a full participant this Saturday for Oregon, so it's nice to see Moorhead um, have his health back. He was able to coach last week um, from the press box, um, but it's nice that he, he'll be good to go, which is really important for Oregon. Going to UCLA, um, UCLA has maybe calmed down a little bit, cooled off a little bit, but remember they still did beat what seems to be a pretty decent LSU team. Um, what are your thoughts on this game? Can Oregon, I mean, this is a must win for Oregon, obviously at this point. But I'm a little bit worried about it, even with Joe Moorhead back on the sideline. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon to me, they, they're in the danger zone right here, man. They went on the road last week against Cal. It was a Friday night. It was a weird game. But Cal is not very good. And that, that was a war, like, for all four quarters. That was, like, a war. Um, they don't have C.J. Verdell. They lost, you know, their best uh, defender in the in the secondary. They're just injuries all over the place for Oregon, and I think it's just not the same team that went into Columbus and and beat Ohio State. So I don't know if I'm ready to pick UCLA to win yet, just because it feels like whenever it feels like UCLA has that like they should win this game or they're gonna win this game, they always let us down. So I won't pick UCLA right now, but. I would say, like, Oregon needs this game. Oregon needs this game. It's on the road. You can make a statement in the Pac-12. You win this game, show, hey, we're better than you. You know, we have more talent than you, even with the injuries. We have the best player in college football in Kayvon Thibodeau. We, we can beat you. And I think Oregon needs this game more than UCLA needs this game. Yeah, Oregon did have a bunch of injuries when it did play Ohio State, too. I think Justin Flo is out for that game as well, so be interesting to see what happens there if the UCLA can make a little run of things or if they can maybe squander their their opportunities there USC Notre Dame USC is as USC at this point Notre Dame really hasn't been talked about at all ever since losing to Cincinnati still number 13th in the country um, late kick over here for this one uh, they haven't really done anything to be crazy about they, they beat Virginia Tech by three but Pitt took care of Virginia Tech, so that makes you feel like Virginia Tech maybe not as good as I even thought they were going to be. Um, maybe, honestly, Notre Dame's best win is the 14-point win over Purdue, which is just kind of weird to think about. Um, does USC find a way to go into South Bend and get a win? I don't think that they go in there and win, but I think they can make it a game. I definitely think, what's the line at? Uh, that's a great question. I do not have the line. Give me a second. 
See if I can get that for I'm gonna you. Guess and, I'm going to guess and say it's 11. That would seem appropriate. It's on NBC if you're curious. Um, Notre, Dame, or excuse me, Notre Dame has a 77% chance of winning. The spread is seven. Seven? Wow. Wow. You get three points at home. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's, it'll definitely be a one-score game. I think, you know, if somebody better cover Drake London for, uh, uh, for Notre Dame. Notre Dame better have somebody on Drake London because I, w- I would actually love to see Kyle Hamilton and Drake London, two future first-round picks, you know, in, in a one-on-one situation at some point. That'll be, that, that'll be a good battle. But I just, think, good um, point. I, I just think Notre Dame at home, they'll have enough to win this game, but don't be surprised if it's like a, a 27-23, 30-27 type of game. It'll definitely, you know, Notre Dame loves playing close, like close games. So I would expect this one to be close, but I think Notre Dame will just edge them out a little bit. I, yeah, I wanted to be trendy and take USC, but then you just realize that, I mean, well, and I should say this, USC is coming off uh, of a bye after being embarrassed by Utah at home. So they've, they've had some time to at least think about this. I guess Notre Dame's been coming off of a bye too, but yeah, I, I think Notre Dame by a point. I think USC covers, but I think Notre Dame by a freaking point because why not at this point? I, I don't I don't know what to even think of USC besides Drake London. And I think Notre Dame's gonna still use two quarterback system over there. So it's gonna be an ugly game. If you want an ugly game just to make yourself feel better about your team, if your team's on a bye this week, if you I don't know, if you're an Iowa fan out there, go watch the Notre Dame USC game. That'll make you feel better. And uh and we'll move on to which honestly I, is maybe the better, if not one of the best games of the week in San Diego State and Air Force. San Diego State barely beat San Jose State in overtime last week. Air Force only has one loss. Um, this is a pretty important big game. It's on CBS. Uh, it's at Air Force. Uh you can get a ticket for $19, but this is a seriously massive game for the Mountain West. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is this is a big game. Big, big game. You know, I'm going to pick San Diego State to win because I think they have the X factor um, in their punter. They have, like, the best punter I've ever seen um, in my entire life. He's tremendous. He had an 86-yard punt last week. Um, in that game yeah so so i think that like along with that and and san diego state i think that they're going to be able to throw the ball and that's something that i think you know uh, on the road at in colorado with that with that elevation if you can swing the field field position battle i'm i think that you're going to have a good chance to win um I believe that Air Force is favored by three and a half in this. Yes. So Air Force is, is favored by three and a half. I'm going to go ahead and, and pick San Diego State, though, with the quote, with the upset here. I think that they end up winning this game um, and make kind of a statement here. How many times do we see a ranked team go on the road and not be and still be the underdog? So I think San Diego State wins this game. But really, I think it's because of the rush defense. 
only giving up 61 points per game right now. Air Force is going to run the football, and they cannot really throw the football. So if you can find a way to slow down Air Force's running game, you have a really good chance to win this game. Um, yeah, I got San Diego State, but in a close one, I three and a half, well, three and a half, I think San Diego State wins. So clearly not just to cover, but to win outright. So uh, that is pretty much going to do it for us, Ron. I know everyone that's been listening has been holding their breath, waiting for some news. And I do have some, I guess, potential breaking news. And that is a hardcore college football will be turning into hardcore Penn State football within the next week or so. And there's a lot of reasons to why. Uh, number one being, I would say most of the people listening to this podcast are Penn Staters as is. I would say when the last time I did the Twitter kind of poll of our followers, obviously not everyone responds to that, but I think it was a solid 40% were Penn State people anyway. Um, on top of that, most of my contacts and people are Penn State people, including Ron. And it's also really just honestly hard to cover all of college football with my limited time. And since I already am a Penn State fan at heart, um, we will be making that transition sooner rather than later to be covering mostly Penn State football. So if that means you're a college football fan and you don't like Penn State football, I understand if you don't listen to me anymore, you unfollow me on Twitter. That being said, I do want to still cover some overarching themes um, because I think it's important to not get too pinholed on just your own team. So we'll still be looking at you know the larger, the bigger picture from time to time. Um, it's also mostly going to be on YouTube. So we will be transitioning to a live show on YouTube. Um, I shouldn't necessarily say we because Ron will be on from time to time, but he won't necessarily be there every time. Um, it will mostly just be me, and then I'll have guests on. Most likely, in, in the conversation that we were just having before the show, that I will probably put one out on Sunday and hopefully put one out on Thursday. So that's kind of the plan. You'll still be able to listen to the podcast audio version, but there'll be a live show on YouTube, which will be the main focus. And then, obviously, if you just want to listen to the audio, you can find it in all of the exact same places. So there'll be more release in the near future. If you've been on our Instagram, if you've been on our YouTube, if you've been on Twitch, you've already seen some of those changes happening. Um, I haven't done it to the Twitter yet because I think once I do it to the Twitter, that's when things will really, uh, people will really be like, hey, what's uh, what's going on here? So that's the plan. Ron, what are your thoughts? Yeah, man, I, I think it's a, it'll, it'll be really good for you, man. I'm, I'm continue to follow along. I know you'll have a bunch of great information. So I'm excited for it. I can't wait, um, you know. Best of luck uh, in this in this new transition, and and you know I'll always be up for some Penn State talk. Yeah, and I want to say thank you to Ron because, I mean, it was it was two years ago we kind of started on this. Um, the very first episode was a, a in depth look at the Penn State whiteout, and you know going back through all the episodes yesterday, I had a bunch of Penn State related episodes as is. Um, and I'm actually going to kind of throw those out there again because a lot of them are still relevant to today. So it's not too much of a transition. I feel like we talked about Penn State football a lot as is. Um, but you were there from the beginning, and uh, I do appreciate you. It's, it's really been fun, and it will continue to be fun talking football with you, Ron. 
Um, and I'm excited. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm really excited for this. I think there is a niche there to um, to, to do that, especially on YouTube. I think um, it's a, it's an awesome opportunity, and I'm really excited for it. I think it's gonna be a good time. So that is the breaking news. If you're in our Discord, that's already kind of begun to happen and change and, and switch over. I plan to stream it live on YouTube, if not also Facebook and Twitch. Um, so you can find us on those as well. Uh, but that's the future. That's what's coming down the pipeline sooner than later. I mean, we are literally getting cosmetic things figured out right now. Um, the the better that we can you know get things going, I think it is well, it will be better for everybody. So um, I don't I don't want to pigeonhole myself into saying we're going to get a show out for Ohio State, but that's the goal that's that's the goal maybe we'll have ron on to talk uh preview ohio state for a little bit on the youtube channel here in the future so go find us on youtube hardcore penn state football um which just is still a little bit weird to say um but we'll have more news obviously in the near future you don't have to follow a new twitter account i'll just switch the twitter over um you don't have to subscribe to a new podcast. It's just going to be switched over. So those things will be taken care of on their own. If you're listening right now, you don't have to do anything extra to keep listening. Um, and that's all I have. Hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Ron, thank you, as always, for joining the show. Anytime, man. Thank you. All right, guys. That's it. Um, you guys have a fantastic week. I'll catch you all next time. Peace out, everybody.